Welcome to episode 13 of the BBCE, the best book club ever. Whether you're an avid reader or just like to chillax and have fun or both, you'll want to join us each week for some awesome book discussion. The BBCE is a safe place to cultivate authentic friendship, share our real lives with you, and conquer all of life's problems, mostly. My name is Mandy. I'm your host for this week and next week. And as always, I am joined by BBCE members Katie, Holly, and Sarah. And this week, we are going to hopefully challenge the way that you see the world around you. But first, we always like to start with um, just a very, very random question, just so that you guys can get used to our voices and know what we like and that kind of thing. So, um, Katie, Holly, and Sarah, what is one of your biggest fears? I'm Katie, and I am very afraid of pigs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. That is true. I won't go into all of the childhood trauma that I experienced around pigs, but they will eat you. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, well, this is Holly, and I will say one of I don't think I have like a weird fear. Like my fear is like failure. Yeah, I kind of. I'm glad what you, you made it serious, say. Holly. That's legit. <laughs> I mean, like that is what I fear. I the first thing that popped. This is Sarah, and the first thing that popped into my mind is, um, my biggest fear is that my kids will grow up and not like like me (laughs) they like me they really like me you didn't have a happy childhood and you are a crazy person and we don't have anything to do with you oh well let me tell you from experiences um (laughs) children remember like the bad stuff a lot more than the good stuff I know that's what I'm afraid of heck yeah even me even me growing up I didn't have hardly any bad experiences but I remember experiences uh, still and, love my parents and dearly just so you know sorry holly just so you know i blame it on my parents that i have a fear of pigs so there you have it it's all their fault <laughs> full circle all their fault wow <laughs> so i'm just i'm just helping you with your fear sarah uh, this is mandy um i have a just horrible horrible fear of snakes oh like I, they're disturbing to me. Disturbing. I like even cartoon snakes. If there are even cartoon snakes in cartoons, I will cover my eyes. Really? I'm covering my eyes right yes, now. She yes. She cannot stand snakes. I can't stand them. She doesn't them. like pictures of them, anything. No. So like if, so, and Katie, I can sympathize with you. I used to give Katie a hard time about pigs. I still sort of do just because it is so different, you know, but people... For a long time, people would like try to scare me with fake snakes and all of that. And it got so old and it started to make me mad. I'm like, this is a real fear I have. Yes. <laughs> it's like, stop. Yes. Oh. You would have died in Bible and times, it is Mandy, real. because you couldn't look at the snake on the pole. <gasps> oh. Um, how- I don't know how that relates to this, but yes. I, I mean, I can see why people would die from that. <laughs> I oh I mean like we've had gardens and stuff and I 
I'm like, if I ever see a snake in the garden, I'm done. I will never come back to the garden <laughs> ever. And like, oh, my bees are kind of down by going to be down by my woods. Oh, if I see a snake down there, I don't know. I may have to get a BB gun. Oh, I don't want to shoot it. Oh my gosh, then it would go everywhere. <laughs> well, in the okay, Bible, need to move I'm on. gonna. I'm just gonna have to throw this last thing out there. In the Bible, Sarah, there's also. A herd of pigs that get demon possessed and run themselves in. Oh yeah! So I forgot right. about that. So you know that also Bible times would. There's not some whack stories in the Bible. Great for oh, me either. Yeah, there are. They're great. It's awesome. So we, we should talk about the book for this week. Um, Katie, I wondered, will you read the publisher's synopsis, please? Sure. How did Fidel Castro fool the CIA for a generation? Why did Neville Chamberlain think he could trust Adolf Hitler? Why are campus sexual assaults on the rise? Do television sitcoms teach us something about the way we relate to each other that isn't true? While tackling these questions, the author was not solely writing a book for the page. He was also producing for the ear. In the audiobook version of Talking to Strangers, you'll hear the voices of the people he interviewed. Scientists, criminologists, military psychologists. Court transcripts are brought to life with reenactments. You'll actually hear the contentious arrest of Sandra Bland by the side of the road in Texas. As the author revisits the deceptions of Bernie Madoff, the trial of Amanda Knox, and the suicide of Sylvia Plath, you hear directly from many of the players in these real-life tragedies. There's even a theme song, Janelle Monae's Hell You Tombalt. I'm sorry, Hell You Tombout. I really don't know if I'm botching that, probably. Something is very wrong, the author argues, with the tools and strategies we use to make sense of people we don't know. And because we don't know how to talk to strangers, we are inviting conflict and misunderstanding in ways that have a profound effect on our lives and our world. Oh, man, who would not want to read that after listening to the synopsis? Oh, I think it's so fascinating. Uh, um, it, yeah, really. <laughs> a lot of short stories. And yeah. the audiobook was great the way that he did choose to tell it like that because he did insert like those police tapes and stuff like that. Yeah, it was like in between an audiobook and a podcast sometimes. But um yeah, so the the book, like the synopsis said, the book is called Talking to Strangers, and it is by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, and if you've never read anything by him, um, he has quite a thinking process. Um, he's written other books too, but um, okay, so to me, I just have to say this because I love it. So to me, Malcolm Gladwell is to like documentary and real life things as Jimmy Fallon is to comedy. Like I just love saying that because I <laughs> love Jimmy said Fallon that so many times. I on know. The podcast. I know. Well, the, it, well, now we're reading a Malcolm Gladwell book. <laughs> okay, so basically, Malcolm Gladwell just he dissects these real life stories so that he can come to some kind of. I don't know. Does he actually come to a conclusion? <laughs> I don't know about the consistencies or inconsistencies of the ways that we perceive and trust people. So. Like, just because I know this story is going to come up a lot, um, does anybody want to give a really brief synopsis of the story of Sandra Bland? Because this is the hallmark story that he uses. Like, it's almost like 
his brain just starts to explode because of this story about how and why we perceive people the way that we do. And he actually starts the book with a story and ends the book talking about it again. So does anybody want to tell real quick what happened to Sandra Bland? Sure. I can do it, unless someone else wants to. Go for it, Holly. Sandra Bland is a young African-American woman that was driving in her car one day, and she has, like, um, she's suffered from, like, some mental health stuff, anxiety and depression, and she has, like, I don't know if it's a YouTube channel or a podcast that she, like, shares part of her story and has following and stuff like that. A pretty positive person and so she's driving in her car one day and she gets pulled over by a police officer and the police officer like starts off I think it was because she didn't use a turn signal to get over and so he pulls her over for not using a turn signal and the situation just escalates from there um, she lights a cigarette he feels like that's disrespecting her he starts screaming at her and eventually ends up pulling her out of her car and arresting her and the only reason he pulled her over was because she did not use a turn signal and spoiler alert the reason why she didn't use a turn signal was because he was actually speeding up behind her and then like to pass her I don't know. Did I get that right? Is that? Yes. Yeah. So, and then, so she ends up in prison and then, um, like two, three days after she's in prison, she ends up committing suicide. Yeah. Um, wow. That was a really good synopsis. Thank you very, very much. Okay. So yeah, that's the story that Gladwell's outraged by. That seems to be what sparks him to pursue thinking about you know, our perceptions of other people. So let me just start by asking you guys, what is a stranger to you? And does Malcolm Gladwell define that term? I don't remember how he defines the term a stranger. To me, a stranger is a person that I'm not familiar with in any way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I guess... Yeah, that's what a stranger is to me, too. I honestly don't know how to answer this question. Like, how does the author define the term stranger? But I kind of wanted to ask it because I wondered if any of you could answer it. I think Sarah did a good job answering that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Malcolm Gladwell sticks to that? I think in the stories that he talks about, he really talks about, I I wouldn't say necessarily stranger. I think it's more of our perception of other people. Because I struggled with that. Like, yeah, it was about talking to strangers and people you don't know at all. But he did, I mean, he did talk about things that, you know, like people who did know each other. Um, Like the Jerry Sandusky case. You know, lots of people knew Jerry Sandusky and had no idea. Um what he was capable of I think that that kind of speaks to it in the sense that I feel like ultimately we are all strangers to each other in some form like there is no one that can know you wholly Mm -hmm. um so even though the book is how to talk to strangers it, it covers a gambit of relationships 
Oh, it's almost like he's saying we're all strangers to each other. <gasps> yes. Maybe that is why it's called talking to strangers. Oh my goodness. A stranger maybe is not by the very definition of the word stranger, like somebody you don't know, but like we're all strangers. That's the conclusion he came to. <gasps> I mean, do you, what do you guys think of that? Am I, <laughs> am I off? I feel like it can be pretty accurate. I mean, you, there are indicators in your life. Like, you know, if you live with somebody, generally speaking, you know them, but ultimately you don't know their inner workings. I know. I think of how many times I say to myself, oh my goodness, you just like, we just don't know people. You just do not know people like, and what they do at home and what they, you know, like it's, yeah. Um, so he, uh, Gladwell talks about this concept called default to truth, which is the operating assumption that people are good and honest. And he makes the point that most people will default to truth when talking to people. Um, I'm wondering if that's the case for you guys. Do you feel like you pretty much default to truth when you're talking to people? This is Sarah. I feel like, honestly, it depends on the circumstances I'm in. I don't know that I naturally all the time default to truth especially now like I'm 37 and I've lived life and I've got four kids and a husband and you know like I just I don't think that's realistic anymore for me well I think it's interesting it makes me think too about how often we talk to young kids about not talking to strangers it's because they don't have that, they, their brains aren't developed enough for one thing, but they don't have that capability to necessarily know the difference between a good person and a bad person. Like they're not going to have those red flags come up like an adult would, you know? And yeah, I mean, sometimes it's experience or it is a lot, a lot of it's experience that teaches us about people. But yeah. I mean, kids, I think naturally definitely default to truth and it's, us as adults and parents who teach them that that's not always the best thing to do. That is so true, Sarah. That's really, really good because I think for me, most of my life I have defaulted to truth. I like to see the good in people. Mm -hmm. I want to believe what people are telling me, what they're saying. Um, I try to live that way, so I just assume. I think also it kind of is, I think it's easier for me, because I try to live that way, not deceiving people. So for me, I look at people like, oh, you must be like me. Like, not a jerk bat, <laughs> jerk bat or something. You know, you're going to tell me the truth. But yes, the older I've gotten, the more, um, <sighs> and even quite honestly, a couple of the experiences that we've had the last several years in our life has made me not default to truth, but also, um, not necessarily that's not always a good thing like sometimes I've prejudged someone harshly because based on something that would trigger me about something someone else did exactly so true Holly yeah I, this is Katie I tend to be just naturally more trusting um I think my personality 
for the most part, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty like an open book. I, I have a hard time with, um, like deceiving people, but I, I think the opposite and basically this is what Malcolm Gladwell's whole point, I believe was, um, we're bad at talking to strangers. We can get it wrong. Um, he just makes case after case about that. But if we go to the side of being just cynical and, you know, become Mm. paranoid that everyone's out to get us and, you know, we can trust no one, then our society itself would not be able to function. Like we would Mm -hmm. all just hate each other. And it kind of makes me think in some ways of like, why politically we're so polarized. You know, we we have this view that the other person is trying mm. to, you know, they are just trying to take away our freedom or they're just trying to, um, you know, pull the wool over our eyes or they're just trying. And so anything we mm-hmm. hear is immediately met with, like it has to be argued or else, or else somehow, you know, you're giving too much ground or you know, I don't know, somehow your like Mm -hmm. opinions and beliefs are so, um, they'll come unhinged somehow. I don't know. I, this is kind of some free flowing thought that I didn't really. (laughs) I, Katie, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think what you're saying is accurate and that is what we are experiencing right now. Um, and it's, really hard to uh wade through and like decipher and figure out what what is truth and what is somebody else's agenda and what we can trust and what we can't and it is stressing me out to no end (laughs) well we're trying to figure it out without like even having we don't have enough information to even make an educated yeah and on both sides which is why we are all having to do this whole self or uh, social distancing thing. So we don't have enough information either way. I can't like I have a cold sore on top of a cold sore right now. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, anyway, Sarah, Sarah I'm with you. It's, it's frustrating. <laughs> Hang on, um, listeners, just so that you know, we probably put this together, but it is. Um, it is 2020 and we are in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. So that's what we are referring to. This is a really interesting discussion for this period of time, for this season of life. Like you can almost tell who... We might be at the beginning of the COVID-19 oh. thing. We don't oh know. My word. <laughs> we... Oh my gosh, oh my Holly. Word. I've been training for this my whole life, you guys. I was ready, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really it it no, it, it's all seriousness. It is scary for a lot of people right now. I'm I'm scared of some things, but like it is interesting you can almost look around you and see like who defaults to truth and who does not. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for um, sure, Mandy. But but some of that like they may just not default to truth politically. Or they may default to truth politically, and some people may not. You know, so I think, too, that um, we default to truth with specific 
situations and people groups and that kind of thing. I know I have to be very careful at my job and defaulting yeah. to truth. I do. And it's not because I'm, yeah. it's not because I'm prejudiced or judgmental, but you know, the red flag questions to ask of people. And, um, you know, I, so I think of that, uh, that I've been doing it for 20 years, <laughs> that group of people that I work with, um, I don't naturally default to truth, but I have a lot of times when I say, oh, I really, I really want to believe that, but I don't, you know, do you ever say that? I really, I really want to believe them. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every, every day. day. Yeah. <laughs> every um, so what day. about, can you guys think of any time? I mean, I know we just kind of, I guess kind of led into this or maybe talked about it, but has there ever been, ever been a time in your life when you have defaulted to truth? You just really trusted someone. This is a good person, honest person. And you have, um, and it, it was an error. Your default to truth led you the wrong way. Every day. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Sarah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> or, or what about the other way? Like when you haven't defaulted to truth and you've thought um, something's wrong, but then uh, you could have defaulted truth and it would have been fine. If I say every day again, we'll be funny. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Go ahead, Holly. I think for me... Um, a way I defaulted to truth was uh, with um, our friendship with Mandy's ex-husband. Is this going mm. on the podcast? Am I allowed to say yeah. that? Am I allowed? I don't know. That's the only thing I can think I of. Think. But I mean, he did have us fooled for a really long time. Well, I was married to him for 14 years. Technically 15. But, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to put that in there. That's the only answer I can come up with, though. We can cut it out if you want it out. That's, I think that is fine. Like, yeah. He definitely had me fooled. Yeah, I mean, I think about, if, if I think about ever being in a relationship ever again, this is Mandy, by the way, I'm just like, I can't. Like, I, how do you even know how, how, like, I don't want to be five years down the road and then find out. And you hear those kinds of stories all the time. Oh, it is sure. not just me. No. You hear those stories all the time. And all of us have experienced it to some point. Like the person you married. Oh, okay. There are things about them that are not what you thought they were before you were married. You know, yeah. I think that's just part of getting to know people and all of that. But then there's this abnormal side of it. That's just like. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. So um, one other story I want to touch on really quick because this book was really, I think it was a really good one to read after we read The Choice by Edith Eva Ager. And uh, the best book we, other than we the We all voted the book up. Um, it was a great <laughs> book. Is this her real life story about, um, um, she was a Jew living living during the Holocaust. So anyway, it's her story. But um, one of the stories in this book, talking to strangers in particular, tied really well into the choice. And I just kind of want to uh, marry those two stories and ideas right now. 
Um, would someone like to, the, the story of Neville Chamberlain, uh, in Malcolm Gladwell talking to strangers, he tells the story of Neville Chamberlain who went to actually meet with Hitler before the war and came back from meeting with Hitler. Actually, he met with Hitler several times and he would say, he would say, everything's okay. Hitler has promised me that he is not going to invade Poland. This is not going to be a world war. He does not want this. And they even signed a treaty with Hitler that he would not uh, invade Poland. There was a lot more to it than that, but in general. And, of course, we all know what happened. But Neville Chamberlain does not, um, how did Malcolm Gladwell put it? Something like, history does not favor Neville Chamberlain, (laughs) is how it was. Like, how could he be just more than fooled? I don't even know the word for it, but so fooled by Hitler but then I um, remember back to the choice, the book we read, and it was so sad to me. Like even when they were on their way to the concentration camps and all that, they still had hope. They thought, well, like, wh- like what were some of the hopeful things they thought? Well, like the name of the camp, something about music, and their dad was like, oh, it can't be all that bad. Yeah, like we're going to work for a while. They're going to let us go. They're just try- like... They had all these hopes and that things really weren't going to be that bad. <laughs> That's um, why everybody's scared now because, mm, quote, what if we're wrong? <laughs> you know? Oh, like, yeah. Well, we don't know everything. Exactly. We can't. Yeah. But it was interesting in the choice. I mean, the the Jews were definitely defaulting to truth. But in those cases, it's all they had to hold on to. The Jews that experienced um, these stages of horror, are you saying like they both were just unable or just didn't really want to go there? Like they didn't want to believe that something that bad was happening because then they would lose hope? But Neville Chamberlain had the opportunity to stop it all is the thing like the Jews didn't really have a choice Mm -hmm. so they had the choice of what to um like how to hold on to what they still had but they didn't have a choice of oh we see what's going to happen and now we can do something about it like Neville Chamberlain would have had that opportunity had he been able to I guess in my mind he was a little bit blinded and charmed by Hitler because he did make Mm -hmm. that comment well he gave me his double handshake and that was reserved for his friends and so he really thought like this guy's not good and I think that's when you I think that's the scariest thing and Mandy did mention this earlier is that when you um when you get in a relationship where there's a connection or a like a a special bond like a friendship or a marriage it is almost even harder I think for you to take those blinders off and see the truth of the matter because you don't want to and I think Neville Chamberlain had that situation going on like he really um if there were people around him and I believe there were I believe there were other people who were still um there was another there was another higher up official in Great Britain at the time who was trying to whistleblow and stop what Hitler was going to do. 
But I just think in those situations, you maybe don't want to see it because these are people that you do have a a relationship with and things like, I mean, you know, and that's why I think my therapist one time told me, he told me that compassion must walk with wisdom. Like they have to be companions. Hmm. Um, And I think he probably told me that because I think, you know, it is a lot easier for me to just believe everybody and there's, you know, there's no bad in the world. And I mean, I don't truly believe that. I don't believe that. But I do think there is a side to like being able to know that someone's behavior, if it's being destructive, that's not okay for you to continue to just allow it because you want to, Mm. you know, see their side or fix them. I've gotten myself in trouble with that. Like, oh, well, but, you know, I think they're getting better and they're telling me that, you know, I'm helping them and that, oh dear, I'm helping someone. Yeah, they can, they can definitely take me for a ride then, but you know what I'm saying? So. And yeah, you're, yeah. And then sometimes you don't, you're scared to change anything because you're, you're scared. (laughs) Like there will be consequences Mm. for it. Um, So there's that, there's that too. I know most normal people probably don't think about that. Well, I think fear is, Um, I think fear, like again, in close relationships, that's going to be a huge motivator. Um, but I think like in a lot of the things that he brought up, a lot of the situations, there was a lot of fear of, you know, what are the repercussions of like bringing this up or even just within the interaction, like some, you know, some fear that maybe was already triggered because of, you know, other situations. Like, I just think about that with the Sandra Bland, like, I would have been freaking Mm -hmm. out if I were an African-American woman and got pulled over for no reason. I would have been Mm. so scared, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because she Um, was not, you know, this wasn't an isolated thing. It was, okay, um, what if this plays out the way some of the other things that have been on the news and have happened? What if it plays out that way? I'm sure that was in the back of her mind. You know? Yeah. Um, I want to come back to that, Katie. But first, I don't want to skip over something that you said. It was really good. That, like, Neville Chamberlain, he was on the side of defaulting to truth. He believed Hitler. And then there was this other this other guy, basically, or other people who really saw the writing on the wall with Hitler and what was going to happen or what could happen but yet look how many people like probably defaulting to truth people believed Neville Chamberlain, you know, like, like Neville Chamberlain defaulted to truth. The people who default to truth defaulted to him, (laughs) who defaulted to Hitler. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like we all tend to follow, even follow the person who defaults to truth. Um, Anyway, because we think we're doing the right thing. Because, like, that's the information in front of us. You know, how can we make an informed decision if we don't have the information? Right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, um, okay. So Sandra Bland, um, back to that story and we're going to wrap up the podcast with this. That's how Malcolm Gladwell wraps up his book. So we started by talking about it and we're going to stop this one by talking about it, but I'm going to ask, do you think that race and gender played a factor in Gladwell's telling of the stories about perceiving strangers? All of them? All the stories? I guess in general. I know that was a really weirdly worded question, but basically I'm trying to bring up race and gender. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to get this in there somehow. I'm going to make sure that I, well, ask I just it, I, so. no, it's I important. had a hard time forming the question. If somebody else can, go for it. I mean, he did not make a strong case. Um, he was trying to be very general in our, re- our interactions with strangers, which, like you said, his definition of stranger mm-hmm. and the stories he told weren't always, you know, to me, again, like Sarah had said, a stranger is someone you've never met before. Like, you have to go into a... Oh, actually, I have a really good story. This is terrible. Now I'm talking, Holly. <laughs> I was driving my husband's car one time. His oh. BMW 3 Series. That's all I know. I don't know what. It was blue. I don't know anything else. Is that right? It was the 3 Series. My husband <laughs> loves cars. Like, he loves them and I don't get it. I will never get it. It doesn't like I'm super fine with that's his thing. So I would never want him to change that. He's got his plan for how he's going to get his Corvette. I will let him, you know, make all his decisions toward that goal. I'm not getting in the way, but I just don't get it. However, I did make a terrible decision and it was based on an interaction with a stranger I ran out of gas in the car and had coasted into a gas station and I could not get the car far enough up to the pump Uh, (laughs) and I was going into the gas station to buy a, you know, like one of the little red (gasps) containers so that I could then fill it up with gas and get it over to the car. That makes sense. Like there's no reason why I shouldn't have done that, but somebody wanted to help me. And this person told me they were going to gently like move the car toward the gas pump with their truck. Like the bumper of their truck. <laughs> I that, forgot about this. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There was some fear involved for me in the interaction with a stranger. There was some gender going on there. Like I didn't perceive that I had power in that situation to tell them mm. no. And yeah, and it like, so they proceeded to dent the bumper of my husband's (sighs) fancy schmancy car that he no longer has. (laughs) Praise the Lord, but (laughs) sorry. (laughs) 
so there is my interaction with a stranger where it went off and and so I'm like way off track on your question but I think that in general those things if you add them to the fact that it's already difficult to know whether someone's like there were so many other things that Mm -hmm. he brought up in the book like the whole transparency thing how we always you know think we can read Mm -hmm. somebody's expressions and that they mean they're either you know telling us the truth or not and that does not always in fact very uh, it doesn't match up um so all those things like were what I believe he was trying to first have Mm -hmm. us grasp when we saw how this situation with the cop and Sandra Bland went awry I don't think that he talked about race and gender but it's there and it's I mean that's in our interactions with people it's there I think that's very succinct he didn't talk about it but it is there well, I kind of got the idea that it mattered to him, too, even though he didn't come out and say that. What, Mandy? I kind of got the impression that it mattered to him, even though he did not come out and say that. Hmm. It was almost like all I want this to really be about is um, our interaction with strangers, no matter who they are. But I am going to mention that she was African-American and a woman. You know, well, like why wouldn't it's almost he? like he kind of wants you to think it in the think about it for yourself in the background. I, I thought because he did keep it to the interaction. Um, did he actually say she was African American? I don't remember yeah. in the book. Did he say that? Yes, I think so. Otherwise, I don't know. No, how he I did know that he did. So why yeah. didn't he label everybody else <laughs> what what they were? This is a German male or this is a which is why I I think he wanted us to think about that but he didn't come right out and say what he thought about it I just I but I think it's something that mattered to him I'll come out and say what I think about it (laughs) (laughs) well I mean he did use now honestly the song that he used as part of kind of like the production of I will say the show. It was great. The audiobook was incredible. Good I'm grief. so glad. That music yeah. was powerful. But I think, you know, that song um, included, if you listen to the, they played like all the way, they would play just like brief little snippets of the song throughout in between the chapters. And then at the very end, yeah. it played the whole song. And, um, you know, it mentioned a lot of the, some of the really prominent cases of police violence against African Americans. Like they brought up a lot mm-hmm. of the different names. Um, and Sandra Bland was included. So um, mm. I do think he made a point by using that song. So I don't know if that's what mm. you were saying, but I think he made a point. I think that was very clear that he was. Um, but I think what he was saying was that it was already very complicated on both sides, the cop and Sandra Bland Mm -hmm. for that interaction. Like you, cause you look at it and you go, how did that even happen? I mean, Mm -hmm. but you know, you've got in some ways, I think there was some, 
there was some ego there on the cop side. There was some fear on both sides. And you've just got a mess waiting to happen. I think, I think that, um, yes, definitely gender and race played a part in that and many things. But I think that he was trying to do further justice to that story and that circumstance by making a point for the people who don't believe that gender and race matter in situations like this. He's making a point that even if they didn't matter, Mm. there were other things wrong with this story. So even if you want to factor that out, even though I don't believe you should, Mm -hmm. then you can still look at this story and be like, it was still so wrong, and these are the reasons that it was wrong. Mm. Does that make sense? Yep. It it does make sense, yeah. Like, just the fact that he, the cop, was trained to right like pull people over for no reason which he you know basically like the little um crime sect experiment where that worked it was you know in a neighborhood where a lot of crime was already taking place it wasn't on a little country road outside of a university like during the middle of the day so like you start Mm -hmm. there with some um things that just were not they just weren't set up in the right way to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like that shouldn't, she should have never been pulled over for the first, you know. Right. And she knew that, yeah. you know, and she was, you know, I think she was trying to in some ways be strong about her rights and that, and and it made him mad. <laughs> he just got yeah, really mad about it. Ridiculously well, mad. It tell like at the end of the book, it talks about all the times that she had already been pulled over. Yeah. And those probably had to do with race and gender. Also, this was not the first time that it happened specifically to her. Right. right. Yeah. And then, I, I mean, mean like, like you see things like, I, okay, I know we got to wrap this up. Yeah. But I mean, one of the members of the BBCE were all white females, has been right. pulled over multiple times and has gotten out of every single speeding ticket that they've ever been pulled over for. That is not me. I, well, that is not quite quite true. I, I did have to pay ticket, one. Ticket, you did have one. to pay. I had to pay one. I uh, went to court thinking I could get out of it because I was... I got a ticket. Oh my word. I got a ticket on the day my kid was adopted. And I went to court and told them that I changed my ways, like I'd stopped doing drugs or something. Everyone laughed. (laughs) I did get out of that ticket, but I had to go to court. But one of us has gotten out of like every ticket almost. Well, I mean. Yeah. I mean, are you saying that they made a bad judgment call on me? I'm just saying you flirt. Like, one of us knows how that like, many bat her eyes and like oh i don't know how you do it i can't do it i'm just like Bleh. oh this one time oh my word oh not only i mean i just plowed through this stop sign in eastridge oh my goodness and um oh there was a cop coming and i had not seen him 
not only had I plowed through the stop sign going very fast, I also had not changed my license over from my new address, and oh. I didn't have my insurance on me. Oh, no. Oh, my God. And you still got out of it. I was just like, yeah. My, I got a I, ticket for not having my license plate <laughs> renewed by one day. Sarah was in the car with me that night. She I've had to dig through almost, the back of her van. Oh, my van was so disgusting. I had a teenager van. Crazy. It was awful. That I don't I've feel bad for the like, pop man. They had to sit there and wait for me to find my <laughs> wallet for like 20 minutes because of one Seriously. freaking day. That That is really bad luck. You do wonder why people, I mean, like I've driven for almost a year with a, an old tag on my car. Oh, you know, gosh. and then finally it's like, oh, I finally got pulled over. And yes, but actually, oh, my gosh, oh my actually, gosh. it wasn't even me that got pulled over driving my van. It was my ex-husband. It was my husband at the time. <laughs> I had been driving around for almost a year with his expired tag. And then he drives my van and he gets pulled over. <laughs> it's terrible. See? It's not funny. It's I, not I was about to say, I don't know why this is funny. <laughs> Yeah. Here's the thing. It's just crazy ironic. That's what it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Absolutely. That's always the way it goes. You're like, are you serious right now? Yeah. Uh, I have some really good getting pulled over stories, too, but we won't (laughs) go into that. How have we not been arrested yet? We are very privileged. And I do think race and gender um, plays. Well, it's like, it's like, um, you know, I don't think you can necessarily like, okay, so you take this story and you say it was me that got pulled over by this cop. You can't say for sure that he wouldn't have, like if I had right. interacted with him the exact same way she did, like if I had gotten a little bit, you know, which, you know, she may Feisty. have had, she may have had some already like preconceived notions about you know, this white male cop, you know? I mean, she certainly could. And like I said, like, I think that might have instilled some of the fear. Um, So it made the interaction really, like, difficult. But if I had just been like, no, I'm not putting out my cigarette, you know, that sort of stuff, he may have have gotten really angry at me. But I do think, like, there are certain things that I get to do and experience without the... um, you know, just the fear, the stigma of like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I, like you said, I am a white female. So that people have never followed me around a store, you know, people have never. And I just think of the, um, the well, they situation. might have followed you around a store, but just because you're so pretty. That's right. They exactly. were just trying to, blonde hair, trying to look, look, look it up. Oh, no. Whatever. <laughs> Not because they thought but, they were going to do something bad, you know. Right. I have. I did get pulled over several times in my um, 1991 Nissan truck with a teal stripe down the side and my Dave Matthews stickers on the back oh, when, when I was in a certain area of Chattanooga where <laughs> cops thought I should not have been. Like, I knew that's why they were pulling me over because they were huh. literally pulling me over and just asking me what I was doing there. Like, what are you doing here? And I was like, yep, my church is like right two blocks up. My mom works at this school that I'm like, leave me alone. You know, like they, they seriously thought I was in a situation where I was buying drugs. Like, why else would they have pulled me over and asked me what I was doing in a certain part of town, you know? 
So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just think I think about the um, Starbucks thing where the guys that were sitting in the Starbucks they called the cops on them. Do you, have y'all heard that yeah. story? It was in yes. the news several years ago. Yeah. I mean, so when you look at something like that, there's nothing there except race. That's I mean that it's glaring. That's the only thing there. I was like, try to arrest blonde Katie in a Starbucks for sitting there. Like nobody's gonna do that. And so like it's yeah. just very. It's very real, you know, it's very real. This is yeah. not just something that the news wants to make up to make everybody, you know, like feel bad about themselves. Like that's not what's happening. There's, you know, our country has made some progress, but I don't know if we've made near, I mean, definitely it's not, not nearly enough. It's not talked about near enough. Yeah. I don't think we interact with it enough to really even like see it for what it is because we're yeah. safe and secluded. So... Wow. Sorry. And like, this was like the question when you guys were like, you guys were like, I don't really know what to say. Like, <laughs> this, this was great. This, this was good discussion. This is good discussion. Um, yeah. So, um, on our, on our next episode of this book, when it releases next week, um, I want to talk a little bit about social media. I want you guys to think about, um, if you just what you learned from this book or if it taught you anything about yourself and that kind of thing. So I'm excited to dive into some different, maybe more light things next week, but this has been good discussion. Um, but for now, be the best and subscribe to our show on the platform of your choosing. Um, and you could even write us a review. That would be awesome. That would help us out so much. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the bbce you can investigate our instagram at instagram.com slash the bbce and we have a website www.thebestbookclubever.com where we post a blog every week related to our episodes um, with show notes and anything that we've discussed in the show so don't forget to be the best you that you can be because after all there's only one of you. The end. <laughs>